Hi, hi everyone. I'm Jessica. And I'm Morgan. You're listening to Suspicion. Hi, Jess. <laughs> Why are we so awkward? Well, we haven't been together recording in a long time, so yeah. we kind of are off of our game. But welcome back. I'm so happy to have you back. It was a lot to try to do do it without you. Yeah, but I liked your episode with Alex. Thank you. I hope everyone listened. We've been really checking to see how many listens we've gotten. Oh, you have been? Yes, but I don't even think he has listened to it yet. He doesn't listen to our podcast. <gasps> a sacre bleu! <laughs> I know. And I'm like, oh, well, Dev doesn't listen to it either. But he does because he's usually... Right over there on the couch. Right yeah. Mm-hmm. But does he not listen because true crime is scary? Yes. Yeah. He's a little baby. That's reasonable. Mm-hmm. I accept that as an excuse. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, anyway, I'm glad you're back, and I'm really excited to do this case today. Yeah, me too. So the reason I thought of doing this case is because I've been in a hole watching Law & Order SVU. Oh. Which I've had to stop because... It, Getting nightmares. It's upsetting. Not nightmares, but it's just, like, really upsetting. Well, I'm actually surprised that you've been watching it for this long because SVU is kind of the thing that really bugs you the most. I think hits you the most, right? Yeah, I would say so. Yeah, so. But point is, they do an episode that's, like, based off of the premise of this case. Oh, really? Mm Mm-hmm. Oh. Young Olivia Benson or old Olivia Benson? Medium. Oh, short hair or long hair? Olivia no, Benson? no, Stabler. Ah, oh, Stabler's the best. I'll see if I can find. I mean, I can. I'll find the episode number, and we'll post it in our resources cool. and stuff. Yep. The real life story is the story of Sherry Rasmussen. Sherry was described as a tall Scandinavian beauty, like us. I was going to say the same yeah. thing. Yeah, well, I'm more like you. I'm more like a short Midwestern beauty. <laughs> I'm like an average height <laughs> American beauty. Yeah. Well, if you look at pictures of Sherry, she definitely was a tall Scandinavian beauty. She had, oh, this gorgeous blonde curled hair that had that awesome, like, 80s look, you know, where yep, it's kind of big. Yep, I yeah, I can picture. Mm-hmm. Sherry was a runner, and in the summer of 1984, at the age of just 27, she was already the director of nursing at Glendale Adventist Medical Center. Sherry lectured internationally on critical care nursing. She was beautiful and brilliant, confident and determined. And when she met John Rutten that summer of 1984, it seemed like everything had come together for her. John Rutten was described as a charming young man who was as handsome as a male model, and he was just crazy about Sherry. As soon as the two met, they were inseparable, and in November of 1985, they got married so they could start the rest of their lives together. But unfortunately, the rest of Sherry's life would only be four more short months. I think everyone can relate to how Sherry felt on Monday, February 24th, 1986. They're like how we all feel on a Monday. Monday blues. 
she did not want to get out of bed. Sherry was supposed to supervise a human resources class for some of the nurses at her hospital that morning, but Sherry just wanted to call out sick and stay home. John encouraged Sherry to go and get the class over with, but he left at 7.20 a.m. with Sherry still in bed. John tried to reach Sherry several times throughout the day at their home phone or through her secretary, but wasn't able to reach her. He wasn't too concerned, though, because maybe he just kept missing her. I saw somewhere that when she was teaching one of these classes, oftentimes she would just go in and bypass her secretary on her way in, and then they couldn't reach her throughout. Makes sense. After John finished up his day and ran a few errands, he finally arrived home and was surprised to see the garage door open. Sherry's BMW was gone, and there was shattered glass at the garage entrance. Still, John thought maybe she had hit something with her car, so no reason for alarm. But when John saw that the door from the garage to the living room was ajar, it finally hit him that something seemed off. John walked into the living room to find Sherry dead on the floor. Her face was swollen, battered, and bloody. She was barefoot and in her red bathrobe. Sherry's body was stiff and cold to the touch, and she had no pulse when John checked. He immediately called 911. The police came and meticulously documented the scene and noted that it looked as though there had been a fight. A stereo was knocked over in the living room. A gray ceramic vase lay shattered on the floor. Two shelves and a wooden cabinet were knocked askew. A VCR and CD player were stacked neatly as if to be carried out but left behind. A blanket in the living room had a bullet hole in it with gunpowder burns. Detectives noticed two of what turned out to be three holes in Sherry's chest as contact wounds, meaning that after the first shot, the gun was placed right against her chest and fired twice. It appeared the blanket was used to muffle the sound. This, at this point, this is where in my brain, from hindsight and from all of the true crime stuff that we've talked about, this seems more personal than a robbery. Because you're up close, face to face. Yeah, but if there was a struggle, but what... I mean, I guess in my mind, I'm thinking if somebody came into my house and was stealing things, I wouldn't run towards them to, to try to take things away. I would run away. Right. You would. You would. Yeah. But what if they came up to you? Oh. You know, so. It was like, give me all your jewelry, stuff like that. All right. Yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah. The bullets were 38 caliber. From the wounds on Sherry's face. Detectives determined that she was likely struck over the right eye with that broken vase, and they noticed a bite mark on her inner left forearm that was swabbed for saliva and cast for possible tooth comparisons. There was a bloody smudge on the wall and on the front door. Upstairs, one of two glass sliding doors to a back balcony was shattered. This is the glass that was seen out by the garage. There was no sign of forced entry. Detectives told John that they believed it was a burglary gone wrong. So for me, the part of this that doesn't feel like a burglary gone wrong is why would one of the 
two glass sliding doors upstairs be shattered. Yeah, did they go through the upstairs? That's the piece that's confusing to me. It doesn't seem like it. Like, I don't get how they put together the... Well, especially if... Pieces of the crime upstairs with the downstairs one, given this narrative that they are saying. Yeah, it seems like two separate cases. Right, because they're saying Sherry came downstairs and, like, caught the burglars in action. So then they go upstairs and destroy... And shatter a glass door. Because if she's dead, there's no reason for them to go upstairs and even go out that way, like, over a balcony. They can just go out the front door. Right. I don't know. And I don't think anything was taken either or missing from the home. No, I don't think so. Yeah. Hmm. Okay. And who would care? I mean, who would carry a VCR? But they didn't even take those, it. They didn't even take it. But why would you even stack that up? Like, that? those were heavy. Yeah, but they were valuable. Oh. But we're so, so We're so far removed from we're so the, far, yeah. the era of VCRs at this point. Oh, that time when I burglarized a home. <laughs> you know? We had to go for the VCR. <laughs> but... With all that said, this idea was reinforced when a nearby home was burglarized shortly after Sherry's murder. Police pointed the finger at two Latino men as the suspects, but no arrests were made. And eventually, as it happens, the case went cold and people were left wondering who did this. 23 years later... After they closed this case, in 2001, the L.A. police chief created a cold case homicide unit to begin combing through unsolved murder files for DNA evidence. So the thought here is that now you can test DNA that you couldn't have before. Mm-hmm. Just smart. DNA is evidence is the coolest thing. Yeah. And I think that it's probably one of the most important things that we have ever created or that ever figured out fingerprints right oh yeah your friend has fingerprint mm-hmm. stuff analysis that's cool too it is cool mm-hmm. yeah for me now i'm like no dna what can you like how can you even solve it yeah Exactly. That's how I think of DNA evidence. Mm-hmm. What do you but think, not really in the 80s. Well, what do you think about hair analysis? What do you mean? Like hair root? Ha- don't people say now that you can't really get DNA from the like a root from your hair? I think you can. I, I, I still think that. you can too. I hadn't heard that. See, that would stress me out if I was ever going to commit a crime. The hair thing would stress me out more because I shed hair Oh, so Constantly. Much. I guess you wear, like, a shower cap? I, I don't know. Um, We're not going to be committing any crime, <laughs> so we don't need to worry about no, that. No, we got too much uh, guilt. Yeah. <laughs> and we're not... I don't know Murders. what kind of person you have to be. Like, yeah, we're not. Yeah. Three years after this unit was created, a criminalist in that unit pulled Sherry's case and began sorting through the evidence. Sherry's file quickly caught interest with this detective because the crime report stated that a swab had been taken from the bite mark on Sherry's arm, but it was not listed in evidence. So where was it? In the chain of evidence in a case, 
Evidence recovered from a victim's body would be held for a time in the coroner's freezer while the case was still active, and at some point would be gathered up and stored under the file number. So the criminalist thought, what if the swab was still in the freezer? The coroner's office went and searched the freezers by hand and found a manila envelope that had absorbed moisture from the freezer, so it had worn away the case number on it. But they saw Rasmussen written on the front. That is a genius thought on her part. To go search for Mm -hmm. it. Yeah. Through the swab, detectives were surprised to find that the killer was female. Studying the evidence, the new detectives on the case came to a shockingly different story from that pieced together by previous detectives. They found that Sherry had not surprised burglars downstairs, but rather had been surprised by an armed intruder upstairs. Which you're totally right. Makes about. So much more it sense. makes so much more sense with the sliding doors. Yeah. The alarm was not on that morning and there was no forced entry. So Sherry would not have heard someone entering quietly. They concluded that the intruder went upstairs and had fired two shots at her that missed and hit that sliding glass door. It appears Sherry had run downstairs presumably to try and hit the panic button on the security panel. <sighs> that hits me hard right there. Running. I know. To just hit, all you have to do is hit one button. Oh. Okay, I didn't understand this before. hmm Until, like, later in life. But when your alarm system goes off, it doesn't automatically notify the police. Oh, yeah, didn't mom and dad tell us that one Yes. Time? I was like, What? Well, then, what's the point? It just notifies you. Notifies who? Oh, yourself? Yourself, yeah. (laughs) Same with the fire alarm. What? No, the fire alarm goes to the fire department. No, I don't think so. What? I'm pretty sure it doesn't. Oh, my God. It's just to alarm you. Well, I remember Dad saying that the, the alarm just annoys the neighbors, and then the neighbors call. Yeah. But, I mean, I don't think I would necessarily call the police if my neighbor's alarm was going off. I know. I think which is that's so bad. That we've gone and, like, checked the house of a neighbor. Across Ourselves. the street. Ourselves, yes. Oh, yes. Yeah. Like, what? That's bad. <laughs> you know what? We say that we're so smart with all of these crime things, but sometimes we're just too dumb broads. Yep. Yep. The killer followed and they fought. Sherry briefly wrestled the assailant's gun away and got her in a headlock. The killer then bit Sherry's forearm to break free and hit her with the vase. The blow knocked Sherry to the floor and the intruder proceeded to shoot her. At this point, detectives started looking at a suspect who should have been investigated all those years ago. John's ex-girlfriend, Stephanie Lazarus. Stephanie Lazarus was an LAPD police officer who had a reputation of being, quote, tenacious, tough, and strictly by the book, unquote. She worked her way up from a patrol car to the art theft division and held positions over her career in units such as DARE, drug abuse resistance education, internal affairs, and homicide. Right after Sherry was killed, Sherry's father, Nels, 
claimed to have immediately asked police if they had looked into John's ex-girlfriend, the lady cop, as he said. Nels was suspicious, or suspicious, <laughs> of Lazarus because of incidents Sherry had recounted to him about Lazarus harassing Sherry. Sherry had confided that several incidents occurred, including Lazarus showing up at the hospital where Sherry worked and showing up several times at Sherry and John's home unannounced. Despite these concerns, detective did not investigate Lazarus. The main detective on the case, immediately after Sherry's body was found, he did interview John, and towards the end of the interview, it's like the very end, he goes, oh, did Sherry have any ex-boyfriends that could have been a problem? And John says, no. And then he says, what about you? Any ex-girlfriends? And John goes, no. And because of that, because he said no, when Sherry's father, Nels, tells him about the lady cop or Stephanie Lazarus, he immediately dismisses it because he's like, oh, well, John said she's not a problem. No. Which is absurd in my brain because the first thing anybody does when someone's murdered is look at the people closest to them. Okay, I have a conspiracy theory. Okay. During, like, the 80s, was the LAPD not known as being oh, yeah. very corrupt? Yeah. So, I'm thinking they maybe just didn't investigate her because they are, like, protecting their own, in quotes. Well, and also, if you look at the fact that they fingered two Latino men, right. they're like, oh, well, it was probably just these guys. Just a conspiracy theory. Yeah, on my no, I can, I can understand that. Kind of to support your theory a little bit. In the years following the murder, evidence in Sherry's case started going missing. With several detectives signing out evidence in this case, and then it was never seen again. The detectives later stated that they had no memory of signing out this evidence. Okay, so I have two conspiracy theories about this. Okay, option it. one. Like I said, the detectives were trying to, like, cover up for their own mm -hmm. and sign this out, and it conveniently went missing. Yeah. Option two, I don't exactly know how evidence sign-outs work. Yeah. But could it be possible that Lazarus oh, signed just it put out down these people's name? names? I wonder. Either way. Wasn't her husband, didn't she marry later on a cop too? Yes. Yes. Mm. Interesting. The detectives traced the serial number of Lazarus's backup gun and found out that Lazarus had reported it missing just weeks after the murder. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I think I saw in like the dateline on this or heard it on another podcast about this case that she had said that she had, like, left her gun in her car unlocked and oh, somebody had, like, stolen is, it. This is ringing a bell for me. Right? Would, I mean, I always feel like if somebody's lying, you can tell by if they create a, a super long explanation. Instead of just saying, like, oh, I just don't know where my gun went. She said, oh, well, I left it in my car with the doors unlocked in this 
part of town, blah, 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 blah. Like once you start adding on these random details, that's when I personally am like, hmm. Also, I, I again, I don't know exactly. I, I have no idea what it's yeah, like yeah, to yeah. be a police officer. No. But wouldn't you have like better gun control? Like, handling yeah. Or, uh-huh. I mean, that's not the right wording of it, but like, yeah. Wouldn't you take precautions with your guns? Yeah. More so maybe than an average person? But yeah. Even an average person. Exactly. Don't you have safes and stuff? Like you should keep track of your gun. Yeah. I think that's like gun 101. Well, I yeah, because I'm talking about like hair follicles falling out. I honestly get worried that maybe someday they'll find my hair follicle at a crime scene and try to pin it on me when I was there like five years ago and it just fell off. Police then trailed Lazarus and recovered her DNA from a cup that she had drank from and found that her DNA was a match to that from Sherry's murder. Finally, Lazarus was arrested. And if this case, if you're interested in it at all, you go- have to listen to the interrogation. <sighs> yes, yes, you have to listen to the interrogation or I'm going to put up um, a Vanity Fair article that we got a lot of information from. And within the article, they have pieces of the interrogation. And it is incredible. It's like unreadable. It's so absurd. It's so absurd. Because basically in the interview, the detectives who are working this case, they go, they work in the same building as her. So they go to her desk and they're like, oh, hey, we're working on an art theft from back in the day. Do you think you could come down and talk to us about it? And she's like, oh, yeah, sure. So they go downstairs, check in their weapons. So smart. And they bring her in. And so she's like, yeah, so what's going on? And they go, well, actually, we just didn't want to bring this up in front of the people you work with because it could get back to your husband. But we're looking at a case and your name was in it about an ex-boyfriend that you dated. And she's like, Oh, really? Hmm, an ex-boyfriend? They're like, do you know the name John Rutten? She's like, hmm. Yeah. John Rutten. <laughs> and then, like, they ask, do you know what happened to your wife? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I heard she was killed. Shelly or... She's <laughs> like, are you crazy? Yeah, like, come on. Like, of course they know that you knew I know. this guy. And because also I saw that after uh, Sherry's murder, I think it was like maybe a year, maybe less than a year after, John went or met up with Stephanie in Hawaii. And they like yeah, had... You, you, you know yeah, him. <laughs> you know him, you know him. But then it even gets going on further and further where they say stuff like, oh, do you think you would have ever gone to the hospital that she worked at and, you know told her, you know, I John's a good guy or, you know, maybe he's not a good guy. She's like, um, I can't recall that, but if if people say that I did, I I could have. I pro I probably might have. <laughs> maybe I did do that. But I can't remember. But if people if John's saying I did that, I might have done that. Like just say no. Or just say I mean Or yes. Or yes. Yeah. It's it's painful to read, but it's interesting and... Oh, I don't find it painful. I find it hilarious. I find it painful because it's like everyone knows what's up and uh-huh. you are just digging yourself mm-hmm. a hole right Well, now. the Case File podcast, they have the actual recording 
recorded interview of the detectives and Stephanie Lazarus. So uh, I'll post that up too, because if you're like me, where you think that this is just hilarious, where she's digging herself into a hole, go listen to it. If I was a more sophisticated editor, I would see if I could get it in here, but I'm not. Yeah, no. In March 2012, Lazarus was convicted of the murder of Sherry Rasmussen and was sentenced to 27 years in prison. Which, 27 years? She's already been out living her life for a full 23 years. I can't she should com- get way more. I can't comment anymore on prison just, sentences yeah. because... We all know our stance. I just don't understand them. Yeah. And it's also, like, I read something and it's like, everyone's always just calling for the maximum. And they can't, they're not giving everyone the maximum. So I try sure. to keep that in mind. I'm like... I don't know what goes on in a court. Yeah, I mean, I do like in, um, on the podcast Ear Hustle, they were talking once about how when in the olden days, so like 1970s and beyond, when you were given a life sentence, everybody thought, okay, I'm going to be in prison for my life. Now people are getting out who have, who had life sentences put down like 1970s now they're you know seven in their 70s themselves and they're getting out of prison and so the life sentence doesn't really necessarily always mean life yeah so it, it's tricky in any way but um the one thing that I saw from this case is how her father Sherry's father kept putting her name out there, kept talking to the detectives, kept trying to do anything to get her daughter's murder solved. And, you know, it just made, it just makes me sad because thinking of our dad and the bond between like a father and a daughter, it's just, it's heartbreaking. It also always brings in mind to me all of these victims who don't have advocates like that exactly whose stories and cases just get like swept under mm-hmm. and that's that makes me upset as well yeah and everyone yeah, should have an advocate mm-hmm. yeah yeah well in the spirit of advocates our organization spotlight this week is loved ones victim services or loves Loved Ones Victim Services is dedicated to meeting the emotional and physical needs of family members and friends who have lost loved ones, oftentimes to violence. Their primary objective is to provide individual family and group counseling for adults, teens, and children. And you can learn more about this organization by going to www.lovs.org. And again, um, I'll be posting this on our website, suspicion.com. And I'll be also posting not only our research sources, but a link to some YouTube videos that are really interesting. The um, Case File podcast episode, which as usual, he just knocks it out of the park when it comes to their research. And if I didn't have a full-time job and I had more energy... I would like to be half as good as yeah. as they are. Yep. But and I'll also post um again our those articles and there's a really good dateline 
on this case as well. Perfect. Which I remember watching a long time ago. Yeah. Probably at our parents' house. Definitely. But check us out um, at our website, on Instagram, on Facebook, at Suspicion. We don't have Twitter as usual. <laughs> I'm not going to get into the Twitter anymore. No. no. And thank you for listening. And Jess, I'm so happy to have you back. So happy to be back. Stay suspicious, everyone. Smooches. <laughs> <laughs> you missed it. Yeah.